Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy will walk through some more debatable issues that Christians face in life. Enjoy the message. All right, now, today, as we get into, uh, as we talk about for our third and final time about debatable issues in our study of the book of Romans, I, I just really believe that this is uh, a word that uh, is, is going to be for every one of our hearts today, and it is the word realignment. All right, this is just what's been screaming in my, my head all week is realignment. God is bringing up different things, and I've been hearing this the last couple of weeks that we've been talking about debatable issues. God has been bringing up different things that we're really passionate about, uh, things that we really care about, but maybe we care too much about. Maybe, maybe it is at the expense of the main thing. And what I believe that God wants to do in every single one of our minds and our hearts is he wants us to realign. He wants us to, to be united in the main thing. Not look uniform, that means all the same, okay? But he wants us to be united on the main thing. There's a realignment, I believe, uh, that he wants to do in this room today as we leave this place. Now, let me go back to the midst of time, all right? 23 years ago, pretty much almost uh, to the day, uh, we, my first ministry experience, I was still uh, studying to go into weather, meteorology, uh, but my first ministry experience was a young adult prayer group. Uh, we, we started praying, just a few of us, for our friends, for, our, for people that didn't know Jesus, and it began to grow, and it began to grow, and it began to grow to where it ended up taking up uh, really the back half of a Hardee's, all right? So a prayer meeting at the Hardee's took up about the back half of that. It was pretty awesome. Uh, and it being 23 years ago, uh, the way that you would share prayer requests and share those who you want to pray for to know Jesus Christ, is you'd make it into this one big email, uh, you'd, you'd put it on this big email chain, and if you remember back in the day, at the top of the email was literally a page long of everybody's name, that was 23 years ago. And so it was on all cylinders, we were seeing people place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, we were seeing people that were far from God, that at one time were walking with Jesus, uh, rededicate their life to Christ, it was a full-blown mini-revival. But what happens is this, was when the gospel goes out, and when the gospel is being advanced, when people's lives are being changed, somebody else wants to come to the party, and his name is the devil, all right? Now, in my experience, I haven't actually just seen the devil uh, in, in his complete uh, unashamed uh, presence stand before me. Usually what the devil does is he tries to influence us, right? He tries to get us on the wrong thing. And there was somebody in this email chain that was showing up to our groups that began to email everybody that was on the email chain saying, this is my truth. And their truth was this, is that Jesus Christ wasn't the only way. And that there were many ways to God. And they went and took the list, which had a number of people's names that we were praying that they would know Christ. And they began to send it everywhere. All right? Uh, they began to pass it out and send it everywhere. And, they, and some of these people that were in this group were in high school. It got sent out to everybody in, in the high school. And these people that were praying for the friends began to literally be persecuted. In fact, I was on the college side of things, and so I was called up by the high school to go to the principal's office. Can you believe this? I'm not even in high school anymore, right? And they said, what is with this going to hell list? I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world's going on? And I realized that people within this group, because of this person that, that was sending out basically slander on these people, uh, they, they were literally getting their first taste of persecution. Why? Because they were praying with their friends. Now I realized that sending out an email list uh, with prayer requests probably isn't the smartest thing anymore, right? But 23 years ago, we didn't know the rules yet, okay? And so the thing is this, is that 
the enemy wanted us to stop praying. The enemy wanted us to stop sharing. The enemy wanted us to stop caring for the things that Jesus cared for. But in reality, here's the cool thing is that even though there was intense persecution on the people that were praying for their friends, here's the cool thing. As I looked back, I found the sheet about 10 years later. Every single one of these prayer requests were answered one way or another. And the majority of the people that are being prayed for, that they would know Jesus Christ as Savior, know Jesus today. How cool is that? But the thing is, the pressure cooker started when somebody wanted us to unite to something we couldn't unite to. They said, we need to unite to something that's not Jesus is the only way, but that can encompass everybody and everything. This is what we need to unite to. And we said, we can't do that. And we paid the consequence in the short term. You see, everybody's talking about unity today. And if we united to that, it would have been united to falsehood. I want you to know that unity, if, if it's by itself, if it's placed on the wrong object or idea, that unity has no value. And so today we're going to talk about it's not all about you, but it not being all about you, we need to make sure that we are being united to the right thing. And so this is what the unity that we're after. We've been talking about debatable issues that could divide you. This is the unity that we're after. It's real unity based on the character and person of Jesus Christ because it's this. Here's the main idea if you're taking notes. Unity is worthless without the right purpose. Unity is worthless without the right purpose. You can unite to things that are false. You cannot unite to things that are minor. You can unite to things that are divisive. And what God is asking his church today is make sure what you're uniting to is something of eternal worth and that is Jesus Christ. Again, we've been talking about debatable issues. These are issues that often derail the mission and attention of the church. I've seen this. I've seen it 23 years ago. I've seen this. The biggest way the enemy wants to distract you is to get your things on good things, but not the great things. We need to, we need to be biblically unified on the mission and vision of Jesus Christ. So what does biblical unity look like? Two things we're going to unpack this morning. Biblical unity cannot happen without uniting to one another. Secondly, biblical unity cannot happen without uniting in one faith. Because unity is worthless without the right purpose. So, what's it about? Unity is about one another. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 15. We've been going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the book of Romans. We're in the fourth volume of this. We take breaks. We're in our final volume, volume four. Uh, we're going to take an Easter break. We're going to do another little series, and we'll come back to finish off volume four. Uh, but we're getting there, and we've, Paul's been unpacking this idea uh, that there are debatable issues that are literally destroying one another and that are literally taking the church off focus. And so you can't have this biblical unity if you don't have a heart for one another. Let's take a look at this, Roman, Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good and to build him up. Now notice verse 1. Notice verse 1 in your scripture. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weakness of those without strength. Now, for the last few weeks as we've been talking about the debatable issues, you've been hearing Paul talk about the weak and the strong. 
Uh, the weak and the strong. The weak and the strong have nothing to do uh, with your maturity in Christ. It has everything to do with your decision on a particular debatable issue. So what is a debatable issue? It's a behavior. It's an opinion. It's a doctrine or a tradition in which Christians disagree due to the lack of specific biblical revelation. These are issues that growing, faith-filled, spirit-filled Christians can have a disagreement on and still be all the above, right? A debatable issue is not debatable if scripture is clear on the issue. And we're finding out today, as I've mentioned the last few weeks, that many people are trying to debate what is settled in scripture. We live in an era where people are questioning everything. That's destabilizing the thought that anything can be clear. Listen, scripture is very clear on a number of subjects. So the background that Paul was dealing with in, uh, in the time of when he was writing the book of Romans, I've mentioned this, I want to mention it again. It's, it sets up our conversation for today. There's a big debate in the church on if you should be able to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols in a pagan temple. And so you had group number one. Group number one loved buying the meat sacrificed to the idols. Why? These are Christians, by the way. Why? Because they said idols are nothing. They're fake. And the meat is half price and it's cheap. Why not, right? Hey, come to my house, it's a party. I, I have a slotted calf, literally, right? Le mignon, I have, I have, I have, a, um, I have the hamburgers, I have, I have the ribs, I have all this, right? I have it all, right? The chuck meat, all of it, right? And then you have group number two, who used to be pagan, and they're just absolutely horrified that you'd buy something that we would give money to people that are connected to the pagan temple, and then you have group number three. There were the people who came out of Judaism who didn't believe they could eat certain types of meat, and they were vegetarians. So you can realize at the church potluck, there was fist fights, all right? Now, where would I land in all of this? I'm going to tell you. I would probably, if I were just to be completely honest, I'd probably land with group number two. I wouldn't want to give my money to some demon temple that's, that's uh, serving some demon meat, all right? I'm like, I ain't doing that. I'm not giving you a dollar. Well, it costs double over here. I'll just, that's fine. On principle, I'm not going to buy your meat, right? That's where I would be at. Wrestle with that? That's what I would do. But that's not what everybody thought in the church. And Paul called this a debatable uh, issue, which means you can arrive at different conclusions by conscience and still not be in sin. So we see here the key is this. How do you arrive at a conclusion? Paul says this in, uh, in Romans uh, 14, verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So this is important. No matter the debatable issue, if you partake in that debatable issue, it must be of faith. You must have a clear conscience before the Lord that what you are doing is gonna give maximum glory to God and it's gonna build up your faith and that it is not sin. Paul mentioned that if your actions don't come from conviction of faith, it is sin. And so, in scripture we have some clear principles. If it's listed as sin, guess what? It's prohibited. We aren't to go there. It is against the glory of God, right? But what I find often, and Paul found this, this has been a problem with the church ever since the church has been in existence since some 2,000 years, is that, okay, we're like, all right, fine, I won't sin, but you know what we end up doing? How far can I get to that line? I know this is sin. How far can I get to that line, right? How far can we go? 
You know, it reminds me of, um, let's talk relationships, for instance. The Bible is very clear, and specifically in the book of Hebrews, that we are to honor the marriage bed. That means that sexual relations are reserved for marriage in a one-man, one-woman relationship, marriage. And the Bible is clear without exception, right? So people in dating relationships, they will often ask, okay, we get that, but how far is too far, right? How far is too, like, what can we do? You get all sorts of opinions and all sorts of standards that people may agree with or disagree with or have different nuances in and, and, and order so that people won't cross into sin. You see, the Bible doesn't want us to cross the line, but does that mean that we get right up the line so that we can almost sin? No. Where do we get the idea of relationships, by the way? Well, it was a, dating was a construct that was uh, first used in 1896. It's kind of modern when you think of all, all of time. Before dating, there was courtship that was common where parents and or chaperone was involved uh, in the relationship. And then before that, in the Bible times, uh, marriages were just arranged by their parents, right? Can you imagine if your parents arranged your marriage? <laughs> oh boy, right? But that was common in Bible times, but no matter the concept, marriage, courtship, arrangement, no matter what it is, uh, no matter what, sexual relations or, or doing anything sexual uh, before marriage is prohibited. It's not debatable. And so we need to be wise in making sure we don't get close to that line. So when people would ask me, how far is too far, I get a little cheeky. I said, okay. You want to know what can you do? Not like, how can I make sure that whatever I do is an act of worship and give maximum glory to God? You're actually kind of flipped here, right? You don't want to sin because you know you can't do that, but you kind of want to kind of sin, right? So here's the deal. This is what I'd always say. How far is too far? Anything you're uncomfortable in front of your grandma. Right? In front of your sweet little old grandma. You're like, are you serious? I'm serious. And this goes with anything debatable. It's not just grandma we should be worried about. It's not just that grandma might be in the room, right? It's that we have the Lord God Almighty, who the omnipresent God, who can see everything, who can see into our hearts, who he can see in all of our actions. He is here, and he sees the totality of our life. You know that song, I feel like someone's watching me. Yeah, it's the Lord God Almighty, right? And we must fill in the conviction of whatever we're asking, God, fill in the blank, will this give you maximum glory? Will this give you maximum honor? Will this build my faith? And I'm gonna tell you, sometimes you might be like, I don't know. And there you have your answer. We need to have full conviction to stand before the Lord God Almighty. So I told you that when it came to the meat issue, I'd be like, I'm out, right? What's the Apostle Paul? What's his idea? Where's his stance, right? So what about me? I don't, that, that's hypothetical. There's no demon meat markets that I know of around here, right? So like, well, where, where would the Apostle Paul be at? Well, of course he'd be with me, right? Right? Verse one. We who are strong. We. Paul's in we. You know what this is? Paul was someone who thought eating meat from the market was no big deal. Wait, what? Paul, how could you? I seriously today would have a debate with Paul. Like how, how, how could you think, why would you want to support 
Paul had a different opinion. How is that a one another principle, you might ask? If it was up to Paul, he would buy the slaughtered calf, or the, the slaughtered calf at the demon market and he would enjoy the meat. And this might be a surprise to some of you. How could he support that temple? Uh, he should have boycotted like I boycott Target, right? And every husband says, amen, right? I don't really have a boycott on Target, but, you know, uh, it's, it's always dangerous when uh, wives go into Target, okay? So, because you don't know what your budget's going to look like. All right, so anyway. No matter what position that we hold on a particular op- uh, uh, debatable issue, opinion, if we're going to be for one another, then we must do this. Look at verse 1 again. Now we who are strong, again Paul saying he's strong, meaning he doesn't see a big deal about the demon meat. Now we who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. Those that are not partaking for a number of reasons. The reason why the former pagans wouldn't partake is because not only did they not want to support the temple, they were fearful that they would fall back into paganism. The reason why the Jewish people didn't go into it is that they didn't really have the understanding of revelation, that in understanding that they were free to eat whatever they wanted. But Paul's not saying, hey, you know what? Those people that don't know they can't eat it, you need to chastise them. You need to look down upon them. You need to say they're not free. We need to create a two-tiered Christianity. Those that get it and those that don't. know. that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. We have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. And not to please ourselves. Paul outs himself. He's the meat eater. He has no problem with the demon meat. But does that mean bon appetit? Not so fast. Just because he was right doesn't mean he should exercise that right. Paul lays out specific principles to this issue in his letter to the Corinthians. And I think it's really helpful for us when it comes to debatable issues. Should we exercise this right? So I'm going to give you a number of principles based off his letter to the Church of Corinthians that unpacks this idea a little bit more. So principle number one is this. Just because it's legal doesn't mean go do it. Just because it's legal doesn't mean go do it, all right? 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 24, he says this. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Notice that that not everything is permissible is in quotes. He is quoting a common phrase uh, in the city of Corinth. And people are starting to use it in the church. Hey, it's legal. Let's go for it. Hey, did you hear what they legalized this week? Let's go, right? Paul was saying, don't use that it's legal or everyone is doing it as justification To do it. Just because you can get drunk or high or go to the porn shop because it's not against the law means you should do it. Don't do that. In the city of Corinth, it was notable for being an incredible secular city that rivaled Las Vegas today. People would go to Corinth to get their wild on. And this attitude of live and let live crept into the church. And Paul said, hey, it may be legal, but that doesn't mean you go do it. Here's the principle. Don't seek your own good, but seek the good of the other person. And most importantly, seek the good and the honor of Jesus Christ. We're living in a world that seeks answers right now. 
People don't know it, but people are seeking answers to a really confusing world where we're redefining words every day. We don't know what to make of news. We don't know what to make of the time and, and, and the seasons of, that we're finding ourselves in. People want answers. They have questions. And the church can shine right now. We can shine with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the enemy wants us instead to shine with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wants us to shine in our personality. He wants us to be self-centered. He wants us to be self-serving. He wants us to be distracted. He wants us to fight over small things instead of being set on his mission. Instead of building one another up. Notice this. Let's go back to Romans. Uh, let's go back to Rome, the Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 1. Now, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weaknesses of those without strength and not please ourselves. Verse 2, each one of us is to please the neighbor for his good to build them up. That word build up can be translated edify. Edify comes from a Greek word that literally means to build a house. To build a house. You see, in your life, you're going to be either building somebody up or you're going to be tearing somebody down, right? You're not going to be like, hey, I just built your house, and the next day you bring the wrecking ball. What are you doing to my house? I'm sorry. I'm just having a bad day, right? What are you doing to my house? I'm sorry. I just wanted to serve myself today. No. We are to edify. That means build up one another in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're either building up over the wrecking ball. What is it? What is it? Oh, no, no, some of you are like, oh, I'm a wrecking ball. What do you mean by that? I'm just, I, I, I discern, I make things better. No, stop being the wrecking ball. Let God be the wrecking ball. You have a job to build people up, right? We don't go around, I just ruined him today. You, know, you don't ruin nobody. Let God ruin us, right? So that we, he can build us up and he can use the hands and feet of God in the church to build one another up, amen? We're building somebody up. For lasting generations, or today we're using the wrecking ball, what is it? Are you building others up? If the answer is yes, then how? How are you building one another up? And that means we need to pray for each other. We need to care for each other. We need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with one another. So principle number one, just because it's legal doesn't mean go and do it. All right, why? Because these very things may destroy you and destroy others. Principle number two, think of others before you think of yourself. Just because it's legal doesn't mean you do it. Now, secondly, think of others before you think of yourself. Again, he tells the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 8.10. He says, if someone sees you, that means in the demon temple we eat meat. If someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple... Won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? I just think of this, by the way. You know, like when you go out in like the little open markets and you see people sitting in their chairs kind of out in the street, you know, just kind of dining. Can you imagine? Just This is what I think is happening, right? They have this little outdoor dining. They have the little umbrella. They have a little waiter with the horns, right? And they're like, what is he doing there, right? Won't this weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to the idols? So the weak person... The brother or sister for whom Christ died is ruined by your knowledge. Now then, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, aren't you sinning against Christ? That's a big deal. Paul thought it was permissible to eat meat sacrificed to idols. He thought, no big deal. But hold on. 
Just because it's permissible doesn't mean it's gonna build up and it's not going to encourage those that are weak in the faith. So more importantly than me living in my liberty, I need to actually look at my weaker brother and sister. So Paul considered the brothers and sisters who were formerly pagan, who may see him eating in the, in the temple, and he's like, there is no way I am gonna be the influencing factor of somebody going back into the temple. So the next time you offer that beer to somebody, just know they may be an alcoholic. I can't tell you how many alcoholics I've counseled, and they said, dude, this guy just offered this to me. Do you know what this would do to my life? Like, again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm making a statement on not a particular vice, per se. I'm making a statement on we need to look out for each other. Does that make sense? It's, it's not about what we consume or what we do. It's about the one another. It's about lifting each other up. Uh, far be it that we'd be a person that would make somebody stumble or destroyed. Jesus had something to say about that. What I often see in Christianity is that and it's in the pursuit of not looking legalistic or not looking rigid that we swing the pendulum, pendulum from legalism to lawlessness. Again, legalism is trying to give yourself certain rules to try to get yourself, you know, stronger before God, right? God, you love me more because I'm doing these things. Ah, wrong. Legalism, right? It's, it, God gives us his love by grace, undeserved favor, undeserved merit. It's amazing, right? That means that we can wake up each morning and we cannot question, does God love me? We know, God, you love me. But what happens is, is when people want to go, oh man, I don't want to be legalistic, they go over here and they just become lawless. We are to be none of that. We're to be loving, biblical, Christ first, others second, us third. So it is not correct to move from one error and fall into another error. Everything must be done for the fame and glory of Jesus Christ and building one another up. So we need to make sure that before we partake of that thing, think of others before you think of yourself. Principle number three, do you need it, right? How many things in life are like, I need that, right? Since a kid, since we were kids, right? Like, I really need that. No, and your, your parents say, no, 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 they're there. You don't need it, you want it. And you know, somewhere in our 20s, we forgot that, Right? Like, I need that. You don't need that convertible. I need that. You don't need the PS6. I need that. No, you don't need that, right? 1 Corinthians 8, 13, Paul continues. He says, therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, here's the punchline, guys. Therefore, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, again, he's, he's okay with the meat eating, if food causes my brother or sister to fall, I will never eat meat again so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. I will never again eat meat so that I won't cause my brother or sister to fall. You want something? Here's the bottom line. Is whatever your opinion a need or a want? If somebody today is saying, I'm stumbling because they're drinking a glass of water, I'd be like, you're crazy, I'm gonna die if I don't do that, right? I need that, right? Is it a need or is it a want? Was Paul's want for meat sold in pagan markets a need or a want? It was a want. Now, does meat eating, is this meat eating example serve as an example for other debatable issues? Of course it does. But it may not be apples to apples. You have to pray, you have to consider your brother, 
and then make a decision with a clear conscience is what I'm about to do, glorifying to God and building up of others. And the key is that we should not make others stumble. We don't want to make other people stumble. Now, what does it mean to make somebody stumble? I've heard a lot of legalistic churches use this term to give a car launch of having about 5,000 rules that aren't in the Bible. You don't want to make people stumble. I'm like, wait, what? Let me give you an example. <laughs> uh, before my time at Trinity, that's a school that's down the road that I, that I graduated from, uh, I went to a school just prior to that for a year that had a lot, a lot of rules. A lot of rules. And it bred a, a spirit of legalism. Uh, one of the legalistic rules was that you could not listen to anything but hymns set to traditional instruments in your dorm room, all right? I didn't even know where you find these CDs at, right? And so, like, really? And so you couldn't listen to hymns set to traditional organ. Anything else was banned in the dorm room. And so, of course, like, when you get really legalistic and kind of dumb rules, guess what it does? It sets your flesh up to kind of, yeah, I'm going to show you I'm not going to do that, Right? And so I would just defy that rule in, in my room. I'm like, guess what? I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to worship with whatever I want to worship him with when it comes to worship music. And so I remember one day I was listening to the Newsboys, all right? The Newsboys, all right? If you don't know who the Newsboys are, they're like a standard in Christian music, right? So I was listening to the Newsboys, enjoying listening to what I was hearing, and in came my dorm neighbor. And he goes, what are you listening to? It's like I was listening to Tupac Shakur or something like that, right? So I was like, I'm listening to the Newsboys. He goes, what do you, you know that's explicitly prohibited. It's like, okay, what's it to you, right? He goes, I'm going to stumble. You're going to make me stumble. I was like, okay, time out. Can, can you explain to me, stumble how? How is this going to make you stumble? And he couldn't answer. Now. I'm not telling this story just to go and defy a bunch of rules someplace, all right? They had rules. I should have obeyed them because I knew I'm going into the school. They had these crazy rules, all right? But here's the deal. The reason why I tell you this story is because he used a, a line, I don't want to make you stumble or you're making me stumble, as a reason to have all sorts of legalistic rules. What Paul is saying here isn't a carp launch for you to put a bunch of rules on people uh, or to add to Scripture, no, but rather is what you're doing actually going to make somebody stumble, could what you do actually make somebody wounded in the faith? Does that make sense? We don't want to use catchphrases in Scripture uh, to have a gotcha moment on somebody. What Paul is actually saying here is what you are doing going to make somebody hindered in the faith. And that's what we should be asking. So Paul is setting the example. If his eating of this temple meat, this demon meat, is going to make for, uh, form, former pagans stumble back into paganism... He said he would never eat this meat again. Paul wanted to make sure he was going to build up others that his testimony would not be hindered by his actions to an unbelieving world. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you asked me about this, the big one. Drinking. All right, drinking. I know that we have different uh, opinions in this room on this, okay? And uh, again, I don't have you sign a creed at the door about this. Um, I'll be clear where I'm at with this, and this is something that you have to go before the Lord on this and any other subject for that matter. We will be talking about marijuana in our, bo our bonus podcast on 419 to tee up 420, and I will, t I will give you the bottom line on that one. No Christian should be partaking in marijuana. You're instantly high, right? One, one puff, you gone, all right? So, but what about alcohol? I'm gonna give you where I stand with it, okay? 
Because again, this has been brought up a number of times. Andy, what about this? What about that? Okay, I'll go into it deeper, okay? I talked about it a little bit last week. When I was taking a drug and alcohol counseling class, a part of my grad degree, uh, my addictions prof said something to me that has stuck with me for many, many years, and it shaped who I am right now. And we're a room full of pastors, okay? So this is a unique situation, a room full of uh, aspiring pastors. And he said, and he had this, this uh, my, my professor also had a practice where it wasn't just theory, he was seeing things live each and every day. And he said that one in eight, American, one in eight Americans are alcoholics. And he said, of course, if you go up there from the uh, pulpit and you say, hey, it doesn't really matter, go for it, hey, I'll see you at the bar after, after church, what you may be doing is this, is that I may be seeing your congregants in a few years in my office. He goes, I'm pleading with you. It's, it, it, this is from a counselor's perspective and from a counselor's opinion. I'm pleading with you, pastors, please abstain for the sake of what's happening here in America right now with addiction. It was a heartfelt plea. Now, of course, uh, instead of the people in the class saying, yeah, that makes sense, or oh, yeah, okay, I'll consider it, it was like he just dropped a four-letter cuss word. People began to stand up and shout. People began to argue the rest of the class saying, how dare you put on this legalism? How dare you ask me that? I can't do, ask me to do something that I'm not willing to do. And I remember one student stood up and said, okay, uh, yeah, all right. Well, what about you giving up your coffee, right? Uh, what about you giving up caffeine, right? And he said, okay, I'll, I'll meet you there. In my office, I think he said like 75% of the people in his office that were dealing with horrific things, alcohol was somewhere involved. A big fat zero, caffeine was involved. Caffeine might make one hyper, but caffeine often doesn't commit a crime. So from that point, I chose as a pastor not to drink, and I became a coffee drinker, all right? In all seriousness, though, the Bible tells us not to be mastered by anything. You can be mastered by caffeine as well. I love Pepsi and I love coffee. And if there was a clear and present reason that I should give up coffee or give up Pepsi, I would take Paul's response here and say, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, again, I'm telling you what my addictions professor had mentioned to me and why I'm at where I'm at today. But this is something not only just with alcohol, but anything, anything that could tear you down or tear somebody else down you need to go before the lord in that now here's the deal i'm not asking us to be uniform on this i'm asking us to be unified in the gospel and when we have differences uh, on issues such as this that we do so with kindness and love and it doesn't cause division and that we are united even after the conversation with the gospel wherever we land does that make sense and so that is why i landed there on on being a teetotaler and a Pepsi and coffee drinker. So though, you know, and if I ever drink too much coffee, somebody can call me out, all right, please, please do. There's, there's days I'm like, I'm on my fourth cup. Is that, am I sinning, Lord? Okay, so anyway. Principle number four. Should you or should you not is have the end in mind. Have the end in mind. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. Everyone say everyone. Let's do it again. Everyone say everyone. 
Everyone, whatever you do, everybody say whatever. Everyone, whatever. He's like, whatever you eat, you drink, or hey, guess what? Let's just say everything. Whatever you do, make sure it's giving maximum glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants us to see the big picture. He wants us to see the end goal in mind. And this should drive every passion we have for a debatable issue. Oh, I hope that we're getting passionate in our heart. Like, oh man, what about this? What about this? Oh man, I can't believe he said this. I can't Here's the deal. I am glad God is bringing that to the surface. Now here's what we need to do. We need to take the gospel and place it way above that. Does that make sense? Because what we see here is this in 1 Corinthians 10. So that the benefit of many, that they may be saved. If you read Paul's letters, his end goal is this. We're, we're, we're on mission. And so many things in our life pulls us off mission. Get back on mission. Well, I don't agree to that. Okay, we could talk about that over coffee, all right? All right? Or we could talk about that over something else, right? But here's the deal. Like, forget about that right now. We can be passionate about that. We can have a real conversation about that. But get on the gospel. Get on the gospel so that they may be saved. Church, church isn't just for you. It's not just for me. Who's church for? Whose is it? Jesus, right? It's God's church, right? And when we come together as God's people, we want to make much of God. But when you read Paul's letters, you know what he also has in mind? There's many people in here that don't know him. When you go into the world uh, Monday through Saturday and on Sunday afternoon even, right? You're going to be rubbing shoulders of people that don't know Jesus. And your aim needs to be this, that they see Jesus in you. That they see Christ's attitude in your attitude and what you say and in your mind so that they may be saved. Church isn't about just what we can consume. It's a mission that we've been entrusted with. And as Christ, Jesus Christ wants us to make him known. As Christ has put his righteousness on us, we are to spread the righteousness of Christ towards others. But how often do we get sidetracked? How often does the drama of life blind us and we bury the gospel of Jesus Christ? Paul knew that side issues, minor issues, opinions were gonna blind people from having the end in mind. He knew this. And when you read each one of his letters, you see the warning that he has about this. And it's a warning that he had for the church then, and it's today through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the warning he has for the church right now. In fact, he wrote to his apprentice, uh, Titus. And he was writing to him in the, in the Isle of Crete, and they were having a major problem with people bringing up minor things and dividing people. And this is what he wrote to Titus in Titus 3, verse 8. He said this, this saying is trustworthy. I want you to insist on these things so that those that believe God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. And these are good and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law because they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and second warning. We see a clear template here, a clear warning 
to those that you want to be so stuck on the minor issues, for those that are so stuck on being divisive or having your own way or having your attention be on you and not Christ. And Paul is very, very clear. People were creeping into this church in Crete. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, so they said they, they had the appearance of being wise, but yet they were dividers. They were dividers. They, they were splitting churches, and they were turning the attention instead of reaching the Isle of Crete, instead of gaining an all-personal following. And it was confusing to this local church in Crete, but these dividers were causing such confusion by their division their talk created arguments, it created quarrels, and Paul said, it is unprofitable, it is useless. How often do we get in these conversations that are unprofitable and they are useless in the kingdom of God? And Paul says, have nothing to do with it. Nothing. Paul says, warn a person who's divisive once and then again, and then have nothing to do with it. That word nothing to do with it in the original means literally do a 180, turn your back on the falsehood and move on into the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to heed this warning. Where in our life do we need to heed this warning? We can linger with myths. We can long for what's not ultimately most important. Uh, we can want to be entertained uh, with gossip. We want to be entertained just in the, in the fact of even being at church. And often we build kingdoms off preferences. And Paul says, have nothing to do with this. We must be united with the big things. That is Jesus Christ, his gospel, his word, his filling of the Holy Spirit in us. Less of me and more of you, God. Oh, what would your marriage look like if that was the case? What would your future look like? What would your workplace look like? What would this church look like? What would Kenosha look like if it was less of us and more of God? What would it look like? Life is too short. And the stakes are much too high to just go about life thinking it's all about us. No, rather, life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know and do nothing with it. That's why unity is worthless without the right purpose. Our purpose must be leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. So biblical unity, one another. We lift people up more than ourselves but it must have this next factor, or that too is worthless, and that is we must be united in one faith. Romans 15, 3. Romans 15, 3. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. We're told here to put on the attitude of Christ. Look again, verse three, for even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as, is it, as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. Have you ever had second thoughts when you were about, when you were about to make a big decision? You knew this was a now or never watershed moment. Maybe it was that new job. 
Maybe it's when you decided that you were going to break up from an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it was an intervention with a family member. Maybe it's when you decided that you had to put a family member into hospice. Gut-wrenching decisions. And it's in those moments, you're like, is there any other way? It's in those moments where you begin to think the coulda, woulda, shoulda. It's in those moments where you're like, I, I, I don't know, if, 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 can, do we have to do it this way? You know, Jesus, right before he was betrayed and before he went to the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked God the Father, is there any other way? Realizing what Jesus was about to do, he was gonna go to the cross and he was gonna be nailed to a cross. He was gonna feel excruciating pain, but he was gonna take on the wrath of God. He was gonna take on your sin and shame of all eternity in that one moment. And even beginning to think about it, he stressed so much that the veins in his forehead began to burst and he sweat blood. And he said, is there any other way? And he realized, not my will, but your will be done. What is the attitude of Christ? Not my will, but your will be done in my life. What is the attitude of Christ? It's not that you can die for someone, right? I was sharing Christ with somebody who didn't know Christ, and they're like, well, I would go to the cross and I'd die for someone. I'm like, well, that wouldn't work. Why? Because you're not sinless. You're, you're not a, an appropriate substitute for God's wrath that's meant for us. To, you couldn't take God's wrath. You're not perfect. Christ's examples for us not to be a savior. Christ's examples for, uh, is for us to emulate the attitude of the Savior. We cannot save anyone from their sins, but we can share the gospel of the one who did. Because we ourselves are a sinner, but Jesus Christ is sinless. You're not a Savior, but oh, how we can fall into the Savior complex. We must not do this. As, as we're unified in the faith, we need to be unified with the gospel of Jesus Christ being the only answer. And it's less of us, more of God, right? But often we fall in this savior complex. You might have fallen into a Messiah, Savior, Superman complex if your relationship is one-sided. Meaning, you want to rescue somebody. You're needed. You might be in a, you might be trying to be the savior or the superman if, if you're always the teacher, but never the learner. You're not teachable. You may be trying to be a savior or superman if you have wisdom that nobody else can understand and nobody else can have because you're that wise. You may be trying to be the savior or the superman if, if when you ask people questions, it's always an interrogation instead of talking to somebody. You talk at somebody instead of with somebody. You might be trying to be a superman or a savior if the only way the situation and problem can be worked out is if you're working it out. Someone that has a savior Superman complex but them, puts themselves and others in really dangerous spots. It takes the eyes off Jesus and puts it onto a person. People need to see Jesus. And when they see Jesus and they worship Jesus and they pray to Jesus and they rely on Jesus, what a blessing it is to be amongst God's people. To be the hands and feet of Jesus to build one another up. For us to continue to focus on the author and perfecter of our faith. 
So how do we put on the attitude of Christ? Paul unpacks this to the Philippian church. He says this in Philippians 2.1. He says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. And this brings us right back to the debatable issues. To have the mind of Christ is not to count yourself most important. It's to count Jesus Christ most important. He's the object of our faith that needs to be who we have faith in. It needs to be the one who we worship. It needs to be the one what we do everything for. But when we worship Jesus Christ, we realize we need to serve others. And then finally we serve ourselves. Jesus says that we need to have the end goal than having the same love, spirit, and purpose, and that is the unity on the main things. Unity on the main things, and make sure the unity is on the main thing, or else the unity is going to be kumbaya worthless. Unity is worthless without the right purpose. And you put on the attitude of Christ, and finally what we see here is the one faith also needs to be encouraged by his word. He's been encouraged by his word. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instructions that we may have hope through the endurance, through the encouragement from the scriptures. Now, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. We don't decide what is moral or even how to wisely navigate debatable issues. We need the scriptures. We need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. Without the word, we become a spiritual congress and we make uh, decisions by consensus. We don't become a disciple by human consensus, but by the clear revelation of God's word. Look at verse five. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. There are really hard people in our lives. Every single one of us has a hard person. Every single one of us has a family member we just don't know what to do with, right? Everyone has a, a friend or, 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 or a coworker or an acquaintance and we're like, I have tried to live in harmony and I don't know what to do. Listen, the Bible says it's up to you to live in harmony, right? You can't control the actions of somebody else. It may be hard because... They're bent on their own desires. They're bent on gossip. They're bent on addiction. They're bent on anger. But that doesn't mean you go to war with that person. You may need to have distance from that person, but you need to pray for them. The word of God is our encouragement because together it reminds us to focus on the main thing, living in harmony in the unity, even though there not, might, might not be uniformity amongst us all. Oh, I think it's wonderful that we have the great diversity of, of, our, uh, of our personalities. I think there's great diversity of our stories and our backgrounds, but I want you to know this right now. We must be unified on the person of Jesus Christ. We must be unified on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be unified on his word. We must be unified by his spirit. We must be unified and we must not be deterred from the mission of Jesus Christ in our life. Oh yes, we want to come to church 
church. We want a better marriage. We want a better workplace. We want a better financial situation. We want our troubles to go away. But I want you to know this. When you give the rightful place of Jesus Christ in your life, when you give the rightful place of the mission that you were entrusted with, oh yes, you begin to see all these other areas of your life with the right perspective. So this is an invitation An invitation to be unified, realigned on the main thing. So here's our take home. Here's our take home. Where do you need to be less about you and more about God? Again, take a picture of these, write these down, pray through these this week. This is where I want God to, you to wrestle with God this week, okay? Where do you need to be less about you and more about God? Secondly, where have you been distracted from the gospel. Where have you been distracted? Number three, three, four, and five, I'm gonna give you our action steps now. Pray for your church to be on mission. Pray for one another here at Kenosha City Church. Pray for your pastors. I'm not just saying me, pray for Pastor Brandon, Pastor Will, pray for our staff. Pray for Phil. The gospel is war against the enemy. Pray for your community. Pray for Kenosha. So pray for the church. That's one another. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the city. If you don't relent with that, you're going to see some amazing fruit. I want to give a shout out. We have a group of people that pray every Sunday morning at eight o'clock upstairs in this building. And I want you to know, I just saw some fist bump each other. That's awesome, all right? So I just want you to know that they go to battle before we even sing one song and read one verse. Because the battle is for your minds. The battle is for your minds that you miss what God is trying to tell you to say through his word. The battle is for your minds that you stay the same that you did last year and the year before and that you did the decade before. The enemy wants nothing more for you to be complacent, comfortable, and disconnected for what God wants you to do in your life. So thank you to our prayer team. I encourage you to pray with them eight o'clock Sunday mornings. But we need to pray for our city. We need to pray for our church. Pray for our leadership. Why? That the gospel would be unwavering and that we would see the fruit of people's lives change because the gospel changes everything. All the minor things that have been coming up in our lives, all the minor things that we want to fight for, you can be passionate about those things, but not at the expense of the gospel. Listen, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put this right here. At Kenosha City Church, if you're going to get really worked up about something that doesn't ultimately lead people to the gospel, you're going to be frustrated. But this isn't something that we're trying to do to be unique. This is something that we see our master, Lord Jesus Christ, tell us to do. And we want to be obedient with that. So, Father, I pray that we would be a church that's obedient as we come up to Easter and celebrate uh, the most amazing day of when you resurrected, God. May we be people. May we be people. 
that take your mission seriously. May we be people that, that take obedience seriously. May we be people, God, to know that you are going before us. So, Father, thank you so much what you're going to do in this room today. As we continue to pray, I want to just say to anybody in this room, if you have not made Jesus Christ your Savior, I want you to know that today is the day of your salvation. I want you to know that without Jesus Christ, you are lost. Without Jesus Christ, you don't have a personal relationship with him. Jesus Christ right now wants you to be made right with him. Here's how you do it. You recognize that you've sinned. You've done wrong in your life. You recognize that. You recognize that, that there's nothing you can do to get rid of the sin from your life. There's no good works. There's nothing that you can do. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Confess to Jesus right now. Place your faith and trust in Jesus right now. That when he died on the cross, he saved you from your sins. Place your faith and trust right now that Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. Place your faith and trust in Christ as your only hope of forgiveness. Just cry out to him saying, Lord Jesus, step into my life. I believe that you're Savior. I'm asking you to lead my life. Place my full faith and trust in you alone. Just tell him that. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, you want Jesus Christ in your life. You want to place your faith and trust in him right now. We just slip up your hand. Say, that's me. Just right now, just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I want to place my faith and trust in Christ alone. All right. So Father, thank you. Thank you for those that are making decisions this morning to follow you. Yeah. And God, I pray this morning in this room, we would make the decision to rescue the lost through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would not be deterred by the distractions in life. And Lord, help us where we're struggling. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.